This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast. And I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Hello and welcome to the Nile or Nine podcast. It is Nile and Andrea here, and we are going to be talking about a big topic at the moment, which is uh, spreading like wildfire throughout the uh, music world. These are called NFTs or non fungible tokens. Andrea, are you excited? Mm, I'm excited <laughs> to learn, I think. Um, I am, as you know, afraid of technology generally. And I am afraid of it in art and I'm very afraid of NFTs and I feel uneasy about them. So, yeah, I'm excited to to learn, to listen, to take it all in and it will help me figure out why I hate it. Because right now, all I know is that I hate it. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're you're afraid of technology as this clip proves. So is it any wonder people are afraid of technology? Technology! <laughs> it's me. That was me in that clip. That's uh, Chris Morris from Brass Eye. Column in the Discord, the 909 Discord, said we should play that in the, in this podcast and we said we're about to record. So there it is. That is uh, Chris Morris. It's so, it and, sums uh, it up completely for me, as as most uh, clips from Brass Eye <laughs> does very well. But yeah. that one in particular, uh, yeah. It's something I should watch again soon, I think. Mm. Defo. Or maybe it's from today today. I'm not sure which one actually it's from. It's um, from Brass Eye, I think. Is it definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah oh, there's a technology I, episode, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah I remember yeah. Re- renting it or my friend rented a series uh, on VHS, uh, which was uh, even at the time quite old uh, when we were in college, I think, from the college library. They just had a, a series of Brass Eye and... Um, we watched it. I had no idea who Chris Morris was, no idea what was going on. And I thought it was the best thing ever. And <laughs> it remains the best thing ever. Classic college watch that. 
Oh yeah. But still good. <laughs> still great. Um but there you go. That's um <clears throat> so we're going to really talk about NFTs and you may have heard uh, a lot of talk about it. And we're going to kind of go deep into it and explain what they are, why they matter to music or why they don't matter to music. And the reason is there's just so much confusion around this and there's so much discourse around it. And we're just going to give you as much detail as possible in terms of what's going on and why somebody might be using them and, and like why different people might be buying them and, and how this got to this point. Because it is a kind of very unique our time in music, especially in art, to consider how all of a sudden something might have value when it didn't previously. Mm. And that's something really interesting. But before we do, we had a we had our podcast last week about the Grammys and how to win a Grammy, which, uh, you know, you can now listen to uh, and learn from Andrea directly how to win a Grammy. Mm-hmm. Did you actually end up watching the Grammys in the end? I know, I don't think it was on terrestrial TV at all. No, it wasn't. I um, I didn't watch the full Grammys. I did watch Harry Styles at the Grammys, um, who I thought was very good and I liked his boa. But everything else, I, di- I didn't see any of it. But I heard nothing but good things about the kind of later with Jules style of it. It was a good idea to have all the artists in the same place so that it felt like that sort of thing. There was enough of them for it to be a yeah. bit of a crowd, I suppose, without it being dangerous, obviously, to their health. I think I was expecting it to be people performing maybe beforehand, like pre-recorded performances yeah. or performing in, in different uh, different spaces around the country or even around the, wor- the world in, in some cases. But no, I thought it was really cool that they did that. And I do have space carved out in my calendar to give it a watch at some stage soon yeah yeah i mean apart from the some of the awards which don't make any sense and, and that's the same with the grammys all over again you know like mm. you know a lot of people saying you know billy Eilish shouldn't have won record of the year she literally only had one other song after winning seven or whatever awards last year i mean but then again she was entered so you know she um, had the best fruit basket best fruit basket yeah that's it that's what she was embarrassed the grammys about. are Barrister yeah. about having the best fruit basket. And then there's just so many awards there. Uh, but I just found, as a spectacle, I found it really uh, interesting. And it was also very, if anything, it was maybe too young this time. Like it was notably mm. young. Like Lionel Richie was the oldest person on it. And he did an in memoriam song. And that was literally the only thing. Yeah. The only, he was the oldest person on the whole thing. But I really did enjoy it just as a as a as a way forward of where where they might go in terms of uh, the future. It felt like a real live experience, and that's great. It was just mm. really interesting for that. Yes, the the Fontaines did not win their Grammy, but your boys, the Strokes, did win for uh, best rock album. Yeah, about twenty years after their best rock album. Yeah. yeah so absolutely, but good for them. I'm happy for them. Yeah. It was good and uh, and it felt like an event and that's what you need. And that's certainly what we're lacking now. And it was nice to just see people hugging each other because it doesn't happen. <laughs> so mm. there's been a lot of COVID tests going around, hopefully. So will we go into what NFTs are, right? NFTs are suddenly a thing. Can I ask what what is it? Okay, I will and give you the simple it? explanation of what an NFT is. Cool. So NFT stands for a non-fungible token, and it is a cryptocurrency-based purchase for a digital asset that results in your ownership being on the blockchain. What is a blockchain? Oh, I don't know. It's something that's been going around for years, but uh, a blockchain is a decentralized network, in this case, where a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin or Ethereum is exchanged. So that's where it's an alternative currency the cryptocurrencies, the digital currency, and um, NFTs are built on top of of the cryptocurrencies that are currently in use, like Bitcoin and Ethereum seems to be the uh, one. 
that is most prominent at the moment, or certainly it's the one that a lot of the NFTs are bought with. And I think the thing about this is that it all seemed to kind of come out at once, you know, mm. like all of a sudden we were hearing about NFTs uh, throughout February and it was like, where is all this coming from? Mm. Um, and again, I think it's a lot like the pandemic has a lot to answer for because, you know, like they, with the GameStop stuff earlier this year, it just captured a lot of people's imagination. A lot of people staying staying at home, not being able to do stuff, then able to research things and kind of go, oh, this is interesting. So what happened first was that, you know, what legitimized NFTs in terms of an idea was that a purely digital artwork by an artist called Beeple fetched 69 million at an auction in Christie's, for which they accepted the cryptocurrency uh, retium for the purchase. Uh, and that became, that was the first thing that kind of grabbed a lot of headlines. There had been others before, but that was like, this is a legitimate art purchase being used by, but it's also a digital artwork that anyone could replicate. Mm. Um, and then, you know, you'd have the, obviously it's the tech industry. So you had people like the Twitter co-founder Jack Dorsey auctioned his first tweet as an NFT, currently going for $2.5 million. So give me strength. Yeah, so we've already seen, like, the art art world sometimes has, you know, it's auction messed with and, like, kind of done like that. So though we've had an example, as well as the Beeple thing, there has been an example of something uh, with the blockchain and uh, the blockchain industry, like, messing with art and auctions. And this happened as well very recently. A group of financial traders in the blockchain industry called Injective Protocol purchased a Banksy artwork for 95000 uh, dollars. They then took a match to the artwork in an undisclosed location in New York and live streamed the burning through a Twitter account. And that video um, that captured the burning. That, of the sorry, work, that was a physical Banksy that they bought. Yeah, it was physical yeah. physical print of Banksy, which they then um, they bought with cryptocurrency. No, they bought for original money for $95,000. Oh. And then what they did was the video that captured the burning of the work, which was one, like the original artwork was one of 500 print mm. run. Then the video was sold in the virtual world for cryptocurrency for $380,000. So the video is the NFT in that situation. It's in not that the case, artist itself. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this was all happening. And then you started to see musicians get in on the act. And the first most prominent artist to do it was, of course, digital native herself, Grimes, who sold 10 pieces of digital art to a marketplace called the Nifty Gateway. So whether, see, some people may call NFTs nifties. Maybe they do. I don't know. This is like the GIF and GIF thing mm. all over again. When something exists on the internet, you never hear people talk about it. And then you're like, is it nifties? Is it NFTs? We'll call it NFTs for now. Yeah. So Grimes sold 10 pieces of digital art for a total of almost $6 million she made from this. And that kind of got a lot of people's interest. You were like, okay, she sold artwork. Um, that was something. And then it became something that kind of captured imagination. And then the uh, tech trailblazers, who are Kings of Leon, then <laughs> sold their album as an NFT. So what that meant really was they actually made $2 million from a, a NFT sales of their latest album, When You See Yourself. But the thing about it is, so each unique token, so that's an NFT is a non-fungible token, each unique token actually contained an artwork and a copy of a vinyl so they were selling physical items as part of the nft so that kind of like mm. that's easy to wrap your head around and then there was a musician called blau which is uh he's been uh, a blockchain advocate for a long time basically an edm producer tree lau is how you style his name he sold a non-fungible token nft collection for 11.6 million via an online auction Jeez. And 
that was basically to celebrate the ter- three year anniversary of his album Ultraviolet. Uh, he stole 33 NFTs as part of an Ultraviolet vinyl NFT collection. And what that essentially was like the top NFT sold during that particular auction include an opportunity for the buyer to record a song with Blau, which is all very look much like, oh, this is like a Patreon uh, perk. So you can mm. see some parallels in there about how, you know, why somebody is looking to make money from this. So that actually fetched 3.6 million, that particular NFT, which included an opportunity for the buyer to collaborate with this artist, Blau. And can I can I just ask, um, when you say that, uh, an nft is uh is sold for an amount is it like an auction marketplace where the biggest bidder wins or are the artists setting the price for individual nfts yeah i think there's it's a bit of both really there's a, a good few different marketplaces mm. uh kind of like ebay to, where you can yeah there's one called foundation bid, yeah. i think there's one called uh is it zora that's called um and they artists can set the the minimum price as well or whoever's selling the nft can set the mm. minimum price but then after that it's auction based and it, they're not yeah. going to say no if yeah. somebody offers them 11 million or something yeah yeah exactly exactly okay. but what's been happening very quickly is that a lot of those singular item nfts okay so here's 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 some backstory about why nfts are actually a thing in terms of people buying them because bitcoin has gone up so much in terms of its value that there are now people who invested a few hundred quid in Bitcoin who now are millionaires of cryptocurrency and who therefore have money in order to spend on these kind of speculative digital items. And what a lot of NFTs come down to, right, is a single bit of code in the blockchain that says you own this. Even though you're selling, you might be selling a, you know, a piece of artwork in terms of a JPEG or a video or a bit of a song or a song file, it gives you the rights to say you own that file. Mm. Uh, basically, it's a certificate of authenticity that cannot be altered or erased, but can be resold. Mm. And what was happening with a lot of these kind of things was that people were buying them in the auction and then reselling them again, hoping to make money on them. And there's certainly a lot of speculation involved in the selling of NFTs. But that's something that's going to happen in every marketplace and every kind of marketplace that happens out there where you can resell a good. So I'm interested in why musicians are getting in on the act as well. Like Mm. that is something that I'm currently interested in. Musicians largely used to be able to sell physical goods and pre-pandemic were able to sell tickets to gigs. So with very real, very little real income coming in, you can imagine why people might be starting to look at something like NFTs in order to make money. And when you see people like Grimes making 6 million euro, you start to go, can I make something out of this? Is there something to be done? Is there a way that I can use an NFT? I mean, currently NFTs are hot, right? So they're like, everyone's talking about them. So people, I've seen even a a new Irish artist releasing a a track as as an NFT. But think about NFTs, like you have to have, there has to be some inherent value in it right now. If you want to buy it, it's going to get to the point where we haven't quite flooded the market yet, Hmm. but there are examples of things that may be considered that they have actual value. So with very little real income coming in, it's no wonder that some artists have put digital goods up for sale, even speculatively or otherwise. See what happens and to maybe make some money and see what like what the outcome may be. There are also a lot of musicians who are immersed in in tech anyway, in, in the tech industry. And you've seen, uh, especially 
more established artists from the 90s, people like Jamie Chamberlain from the Smashing Pumpkins get involved in tech and new tech. For example, Mike Shinoda of Linkin Park recently sold an NFT of of 75 seconds of music and an accompanying video. And he was asked about where he got interested in NFTs. And this is like very much like established band, right? I've been watching NFTs for a while. Linkin Park have a VC arm. So there you go. Like they're like... a. V- Linkin Park, the band, have a, a venture capitalist arm of their band. So that's like a very particular way of somebody like them would actually go, okay, how do we get involved in this? And he goes on to say, a few years ago, we did a bunch of meetings with different companies about investment in the idea of creating blockchain-related merchandise. And at the time, I was like, I feel we're ready for it, but fans aren't ready for it. Nobody's going to buy it. So we just stayed away from it. It wasn't until this year when I was like, oh, people are ready. Regular people are collecting this stuff. So that seems to be what happens it's not just, and he said it's not just a couple of billionaires getting involved. That's really interesting that he that he kind of foresaw this being a thing, and what what he says about the fans just not being ready yet. It kind of shows that not not all of the music based NFTs that are being sold right now are as a a, a reaction to a trend. You know, that's yeah, that, that's really interesting. Yeah. And, you know, blockchain is something that's been talked about for a number of years in terms of how, you know, music publishing could work as an example of how you could you have a whole new system based on you could immediately find out who's publishing the track or, you know, you could translate the rights or uh, allow permission to rights based on a blockchain. Um, it's my understanding of it, my limited understanding of it. I think the more I, I go into this, the more I kind of understand how that could be applied. Oh, sorry. Just just one thing that I think is important, um, which I think I was getting confused about initially. When you buy an NFT and you get this sort of certificate of authenticity, you do not own the rights to that art. Exactly. That's not, you, yeah. you can't then go and do what you want with it. It's like buying a painting and it's signed and you have yeah. a certificate of authenticity. It's not your painting and you can't claim yeah, to have You can't it. upload it somewhere yeah. else and make money off it. Yeah. You can't commercially you, exploit it. The only way it. you can really make money off it is if you sell it on, like, like, a, like a painting. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you can't publicly perform it or display it or, you know, make a yeah. derivative work of it. Now we said that, okay, a lot of, of, of what MTs are are just exactly that. They're a certificate of, of authenticity or ownership. And a lot of people can't really understand why that might be happening. Like, why are you buying something that doesn't exist online? What do you have to show for it? And essentially it comes down to, it's a speculative purchase. It's a bragging right that maybe in the future may have something. Or maybe you're a fan with stupid like Bitcoin or, or Ethereum money and you're just like, um, I need I wanna own this because I have this fake money in my head that just doesn't have any value. Um but there has been some precedents, obviously, in terms of music being sold uh, in the terms of exclusivity. Uh, or a rarefied object, obviously thinking about the Wu-Tang Clan's album Once mm. Upon a Time in Shaolin, which was released in 2015 and bought by that pharmaceutical Martin Shrelecki. Um, um, Shrekeli, is it? I can't remember. I don't know who he's... Anyway, he went to prison for seven uh. years. Then the government made him give it up. It was all this weird stuff that happened. But <clears throat> it's interesting now to talk about <clears throat> NFTs that have no inherent value. I'm going to give you an example now of an artist who actually sold an NFT... But as well as selling like an artwork as an NFT, he also sold his publishing for the song, right? So this is Jack Green, who is the Montreal producer, worked with many people over the years, Azealia Banks and uh, Cadence Weapon most recently, 
play a gig in Lost Nine here last year as well. He sold the publishing rights for his new song, Promising, and the artwork itself, which is seven seconds song and video, uh, as an NFT, and that he got $20,000 for that. So he did an interview with uh, Lucky Me, um, the label that he, he releases stuff with sometimes, and he kind of explained how he got into this. So I'm going to read some of this just to give you, because uh, I think it's really good um, to hear directly from a musician, especially a musician like an independent musician, because a lot of the people that we're talking about so far, artists like Disclosure, that guy Blau, a lot of these artists are very commercial, big artists who have access to, talking about Linkin Park, talking about the VC arm. Most independent artists don't have a VC arm or are, no. or, or, you know, engaging with venture capitalists. So yeah. In terms of Jack Screen, what he said... Can I ask just, just before you read out what he said? Yeah. When you say publishing rights, what, what does that mean? So in terms of music, if you... The values you have in your songs, there every song has a, a master recording and a publishing right. So okay. those are the ways in which your music, when they're synced on an ad, you need the uh, master recording and you need the publishing to be confirmed and that's how publishing is essentially the original song as a as an entity the songwriting aspect of it and the recording is obviously the recording part of it mm. so that is how a lot of people make money so get their uh, song synced on an ad societies like imro who collect your um okay. your royalties for their publishing so if song. i own the the seven second uh song that this person has put out i can i can say yes that use this in an ad please and i'll make the money from it or use it exactly in your venue exactly or your so it's up to that person okay. who's bought that song now he well it's not just he bought the seven second artwork but he also bought the publishing for the whole song so he okay. can use he can sell that in any way he wants and jack screen has decided as an experiment i'm going to sell my publishing for this song and he does explain why uh, he's done this as well basically he said he had a very poor uh, publishing deal that really got him no money and was based on an old kind of world uh, setup where basically he just ended up paying back in advance. And so he's like, well, there's no reason for me to, I'm not going to lose anything with by trying this out because I didn't, I had a publishing deal. I didn't make any money. <laughs> so therefore, mm. I'm going to try this and see what happens because at the very least he'll get a certain amount of money, which is 20 grand up, up front. Of course, he is giving up the publishing for his songs, which people say you should almost never do unless mm. you, certainly not the master recordings. This is the whole reason why Taylor Swift is having the dispute with Scooter Braun. She's re-recording. She doesn't own the master rights for the recording of those songs. That's why she's re-recording them, but she does own the publishing. So that mm. is the original version that became famous so that's why she's recording them okay but just back to jack screen what is he saying uh what prompted you to properly wade into the crypto world now like everyone right now i think it's a mixture of boredom and despair i've been sitting around my house so there's been more time to read up about it and there's also this looming sense of will i ever make st money steadily again crypto is this thing that does seem to keep going up so i figured that i needed to try and shake the table and see what was up as the conversation started gathering steam around nfts maybe a month ago my first response was wait what is this so he started understanding the idea of them being like a baseball card a tradable baseball card and they're kind of trading on cultural capital mm. so that's how a lot of people are thinking about it at the moment um and then you know there's a there's a tweet i read last week which which kind of encapsulates the difference now between 
where we're at in 2021 and where we were at 20 years ago. So it's it's from Hey Jules Fern. It just says, 2000s tech industry. What if anyone could share a file for free? And then 2020s tech industry. What if a JPEG costs $10,000? So that's why people are having their heart, having a hard time wrapping their head around this, which leads me to another reason why, you know, there's a lot of discourse around this at the moment. Apex Twins sold an NFT artwork for $128,000 um, last week. And so Richard D. James said he would spend a portion of the money on planting trees and either donating to permaculture projects or setting them up ourselves, depending on how much we get. So, Andrea, I know you've looked into this. So mm. can you tell me, the, one of the main criticisms about NFTs is that they are energy inefficient. Yeah, the environmental impact of NFTs is inherently caught up or mixed up with the environmental impact of the, the blockchain system, which we sort of, I mean, so I, I have a bit of an example here. There's this, um, this French artist, a uh, visual artist who makes light sculptures called uh, J- Joni Le Mercier. He sort of, t- in 2019, took on this role as a, as a sort of a climate activist, um, looked at his own energy use, how much energy it was it was taking him to make art, distribute his art, like things like what did it take to heat his studio, which was in which is in Brussels, for example, or like the electricity use for his really expensive high end energy guzzling computers where he makes his art and the as well as the environmental impact of kind of the flights that he was taking around the world to to attend these uh to attend his exhibitions so he tracked everything and then he made a promise uh or he pledged to reduce his energy use by 10 percent every year and that's something that he did achieve until a few months ago when he basically undid all of that work uh by getting involved with nfts so he made blockchain drop, which involved the sale of six NFTs, which were took the form of short videos, which were inspired by the concept of platonic solids. I don't know what that means, but that's art. So according to Wired, in the clips, dark metallic polyhedrons rotate on a loop and glisten, a reference to Le Mercier's installations in the physical world. And they are very pretty. The works were placed for auction on a website called Nifty Gateway, where they sold out in 10 seconds for thousands of dollars. That sale consumed 8.7 megawatt hours of energy, as he later learned from a website called CryptoArt.W2TF, which is a, I believe now defunct website, which tries to chart the carbon footprint and environmental impact of NFT sales. So the sale was actually equivalent in terms of energy of two years of his work. And the art has since been resold, which adds another year's worth of energy to his carbon footprint. So this model, this NFT model, this blockchain model consumes an awful lot of energy. Again, from Wired, uh, they say the major marketplaces for NFT art, which include uh, Maker's Place, Nifty Gateway and Super Rare, conduct their sales through uh, Ethereum, which maintains a secure record of cryptocurrency and NFT transactions through a process called mining. Now, look, anyone out there who understands cryptocurrency, just bear with me. I'm still trying to get my head around it. And this is just a a simple explanation. But uh, it says the system is similar to the one that verifies Bitcoin, which involves a network of computers that use advanced uh, cryptography to decide whether transactions are valid. And in doing so, uses energy on the scale of a small country. So 
compared to the process of physically creating and shipping art, the carbon emissions from transportation, water usage in textiles for t-shirts and merch, plastic use in packaging or plastic use in the art itself. Like we might think that crypto art would be would be a more environmentally sound alternative to that, but like because we look at it and think, well, sure, it's in the cloud. Like we don't need to worry about it. It's it's not it it's not taking up physical space. It's not taking up physical space in landmines. Um, yeah. But with with these Ethereum trans- transactions, the power consumption itself can be huge. Um, the, uh, according to a writer with LoopNews.com, who is a curator and investor in in this space, one transaction on Ethereum has a footprint of forty eight point one four kilowatts per hour which is the equivalent to the power consumption of an average US household over 1.63 days. This person says most of the top crypto art platforms and NFT projects use the Ethereum blockchain, submitting thousands of transactions daily. This increases with the number of people who use these sites to mint or sell their digital pieces. It happens through this process called proof of work. Um, And so this, uh, this from The Verge, Ethereum, like most major cryptocurrencies, is built on a system called proof of work that's incredibly energy hungry. There's a fee associated with making a transaction on Ethereum. And ironically, the fee is called gas, which I do think is funny. So a a, a basic outline of what this is, proof of work, it acts as as a security system for cryptocurrencies like Ethereum, like Bitcoin, since there's no third party like a bank that oversees uh, the transactions. So to keep financial records secure, the system forces people to solve complex puzzles that uses a lot of energy in their machines. The These users, they're called miners. They, now, and I don't, I'm just going to say these words. I think I have an idea of what they mean, but, you know, so each one of these miners adds a new block of verified transactions to a decentralized uh, space ledger space called the blockchain. The miner then gets new tokens or transaction fees as a reward. And this process is energy inefficient on purpose because the idea is that you're using up an inordinate amount of energy and paying a lot for it. And it makes it less profitable for somebody to muck it up. So uh, as a result, Ethereum uses, uh, according to uh, The Verge, as much electricity as the entire country of Libya. So a good way of thinking about it is if you're on a plane, you are partly responsible for the emissions of that of that plane. But the plane, that flight would have taken off whether you were on it or not, odds are. It's the trend of the thing that is the problem, environmentally speaking anyway, because the more people are encouraged to use air travel, for example, as their mode of transport over lower emission options like train or carpool or or cycling or whatever it is the more planes will be in the sky and therefore the more energy will be used so with this current trend and popularity of nfts artists and musicians are whether they like it or not driving consumers and investors towards a means of investment that impacts the environment in a damaging way yes the plane will still take off but we should maybe think about it in in the way of this is Kings of Leon doing an advertising spot for Delta Airlines, you know. And on the other hand, you could argue that the concern around the environmental impact of NFTs is having a moment now because it is artists moving into that space, uh, entering the crypto space, and that the attitude is somehow 
that these uh, these artworks are are frivolous or kind of surplus to need. Like an, until now, the crypto world was, you know, it was, it was in the hands of the tech guys, and and that that is an industry that we seemed to be avoiding in uh, kind of co- common people. There there are a lot a lot of people out there doing doing a lot of work towards. Um, pressuring the crypto world into uh becoming more carbon neutral or or carbon efficient but which they say they are or some people they're not though they're not they there's because there's there is no incentive right now for them to do it the cryptocurrency has existed for like i think over 15 years or something and and there's 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 nothing to suggest that it's it's going to change in any meaningful way at any time soon it seems like their answer is to use carbon offset as opposed to you know reducing carbon emissions yeah, which isn't real. Like when when we look at that industry, and we know that the, that there are models available that are as close to carbon neutral as something like running a server farm can be. Offsetting emissions isn't good enough. It's just not good enough. But and that offsetting is basically like if you okay, oh let's plant loads of trees because we're we're doing this, or let's yeah. go let's reduce carbon footprint somewhere else. Yeah. Um, or or if I sell an NFT for twenty thousand dollars, I'll donate that twenty thousand dollars to an environmental charity. Whereas you know why what, why can't we actually just cut out the middleman there? Yeah. Um. But 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 I do think that the the conversation around the environmental issues of NFTs and crypto. Are, is is having more of a moment right now because it is kind of easy to point at a lot of the NFTs that have been in the news lately as being like a bit naff. Like we we roll our eyes at the idea of a na- of a Nyan Cat gif getting auct- auctioned for like tens of thousands of dollars, for example, six hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, 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 hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I I think you know. That we we shouldn't necessarily blame all artists for this, especially artists that aren't cash grabbing on this trend, because art in whatever form it's being created is inherently a good thing. Like we, you know, if if you don't believe that, then that's that's a different story. But I think any art that's being created is is a good thing. But it's in the hands of the tech guys to look towards the carbon neutral solution, and there is an uh, an artist led effort to kind of raise money to reward people to, who who can figure out ways to make it more sustainable right. that 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 I can see it, it it there doesn't seem to be any kind of centralized movement from artists towards it but again mm. this is so new that I that it will come but space cat um which I which I think is the nyan cat um this from the verge um says it's basically a gif of a cat and a rocket heading to the moon space cats carbon footprint is equivalent to an eu resident's electricity usage for two months according to the website crypt- cryptoart.wtf so so yeah I that's think pretty it's, major it's uh, it's huge it, it it's huge input. and i think um i think there is a difference environmentally and and speaking in terms of like the ethics of uh, the the environmental ethics of selling an nft there is a huge difference between jack dorsey selling his first tweet and an independent artist trying to make a living that big big difference between those two things and i think that it's it's important to kind of make that distinction i don't begrudge an artist trying to make a bit of money in in a way that has become very clear that is like you know it's 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 having a moment right now why wouldn't yeah. you are the music industry is on its knees artists are on their knees right now i don't i don't blame them for doing it 
But I mean, it's more of a philosophical issue I have with this and it, it, it's, it sort of goes beyond that as well. But in terms of, you know, the, I, the, the biggest and most reasonable argument against the music industry adopting the NFT model is, is environmental. Yeah. Because it's, it's an industry, I mean, you, I think you and I discussed it last year, or maybe it was 2019. There was a brilliant piece written, I can't remember where it was, but it was about the, the environmental impact of uh, touring DJs, I think, or touring yeah, electronic yeah. artists. And it was a brilliant, brilliant piece. Yeah, it's been increasing yeah. in discourse in terms of like even talking about people making, you know, vinyl. Can you, is, mm. you know, you can you can make a more sustainable version of vinyl, but also you need to ask for that and you need to make sure that's what's happening. Yeah. And same with everything in in this world, like, you know, we're talking about, mm. yeah, DJs basically, international DJs traveling around the world, uh, you know, uh, causing huge footprints in terms of carbon. Yeah. While we have uh, DJs in in local DJs who are well able to do that. It's just that kind of like the glamour yeah. of an international jet setting DJ. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, it's just similarly, if you have a huge artist like, like Grimes or Kings of Leon or Shawn Mendes or these, these huge artists that, that are kind of getting in on the, on the NFT thing, the, the more money that is, that is kind of spent when people are like bidding on their work on their individual NFTs, all of that has to be processed and all of that processing happens in server farms like there's no such yeah. thing as the, like there's no such thing as the cloud the cloud is just another computer and those server farms use a ton of energy and l as as i've said it is inherently inefficient because it has to be it, yeah. it we, we we can't do it in one transaction because that's what a bank is okay that's, so that's my basic understanding of it anyway yeah. but it it seems to be um that it's it's bad for the environment and if artists were i believe that artists are probably our best bet for a push towards a more environmentally safe way to buy and sell nfts because there really hasn't been pressure on this industry before now by a group of people who are who tend to lean towards climate activism and that sort of thing I, I believe I, if if artists get together, especially in the moment that they're having right now, drawing so much attention, being advertisers and advocates for blockchain currencies, they they have big artists have an opportunity right now to set this to rights. And I really, really hope to see that happen. Yeah. I mean, well, so that's something that, you know, could potentially happen at the same time. This is an idea that is uh, is spreading now. Um, so but just even the idea of for a lot of people getting the, uh, their head around owning an NFT, if even in the future that be, can become a carbon neutral or or um, better um, kind of a or low impact. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Is this something that could persist in the modern world? And I at the moment, I think the thing is that no one thought that, that some uh, a tweet really had an inherent monetary or value in that way. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people are trying to get their head around at the moment. And that's why there's a lot of like, why, why are you buying this? It just makes no sense. And for a lot of people, you know, it's like it's being compared to a football trading card, who, which has been autographed by the player 
or you know it's akin to a certificate a document like a uh, a document like the declaration of independence or something like that mm. where it's like oh that is something that we can actually say is a thing and it becomes a collectible historical item something mm. like that but isn't there something just so navel gazing about the tech industry and how many of these high priced nfts are sort of like i keep coming back to jack dorsey's first tweet like there is something just so self-centered about that tweet getting that much money because it 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 just it it exists in this very tech bro culture where once you assign something a value it then has has the value yeah who is assigning that value it's it's other people like jack dorsey and then yeah well that's it it's a marketplace like exactly and it that side of the marketplace is the thing that baffles me sort of ethically because i'm like there i i i can't actually get my head around the ethics of a tweet which let's be honest him selling that tweet is in itself a meme he's memifying that process yeah yeah and that actually having an environmental impact on the planet that is the same as you know a u.s household running for a day and a half like that that's the thing that makes me angry it's not necessarily the the act of it it's i think the kind of tech broification of memifying themselves and it 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 just feels a bit like it's all elbows and like and monetizing and monetizing themselves and it it just feels like oh aren't aren't we all a bit gas i don't know it just yeah yeah, it doesn't sit right with me but there is an argument that like away from all that kind of um huge name kind of stuff like there is the inherent a desire for people to associate themselves with something or to own something digitally even though they can't physically own it like they if somebody buys his tweet they're not gonna like what can they do with it they can just like look at their phone and like touch it <laughs> you know what i mean like they can't do anything with it they can't they can use it as a screensaver and show it somebody like oh look i bought this for this amount of money mm. like they can do printouts of it but like Maybe this stuff doesn't make sense yet. Like Mike Shinoda said, in the long term, maybe like we're all, we have been, and especially now the last year, we're all moving towards virtual worlds even more so than ever. But also like virtual worlds are something that's been going around in Mm. terms of gaming for a long, long time. You know, there's uh, virtual communities around like things Mm. like Fortnite and even a popular video game like FIFA, where you buy and trade items uh, with different people on the internet and you buy upgrades for different things. Mm. So people in the world of gaming are very much aware of the idea of buying some sort of virtual currency or buying some asset that you have that maybe someone else doesn't have. And that gives you some sort of kudos. Yeah. So you know, if you think about it that way, they're kind of social assets as well. If you take a piece of art, um, you know, it's a, it's got a cultural context, but also, you know, it's somebody's, again, it's somebody's bragging rights. And that's something yeah. that the more the virtual uh, communities become important in the world and maybe, you know, in maybe it'll make more sense in 10, 15 years time why somebody would want to buy something that doesn't physically exist in the same way. You know, I think we, so. and it's like anything. It's like anything. Like, we... Like money as well, in general, is a we all. Oh, believe it's fake! It. It's so all made up. 
Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, but that's what I mean. Like, it's like we, it's the only value that ha- pe- things gives like money value is that we all believe and agree on it. And same with yeah. cryptocurrencies as well. As long as people believe in the value, then it's going to have some value. But like, as because cryptocurrency has been around as long as money, regular money, you know, like in 2010, uh, that guy Laszlo Hanyex play, paid 10,000 bitcoins for, for two pizzas. And that current price of that is now worth about 446 million in, in Bitcoin for two, those two pizzas. So that is one example. Like you, if you, you know, two pizzas are now worth 446 million in Bitcoin. That's what mm. it is. It's an unregulated speculative market that goes through like dips and uh, things like that. And so it all depends. And it's very much like you just never know what's going to happen. Like Actually, going back to Jack's Green, he says, even when he sold it, in the hours immediately after the auction ended, the value of Ethereum fell by more than 20%, so it just crashed as soon as it hit his account. And he says, it was stressful between the time that the auction ended and when the currency reached my wallet. I think I lost three grand, but it's all monopoly money. I haven't taken any out of it other than the one I need to pay my manager. I've actually been looking at charities and organizations that accept Bitcoin donations. I'm coming up short so far, but I'm hoping that I'll find something worthwhile. Otherwise, I don't even know if I'm going to take any of it out of my wallet. I'm going to let it ride and be a nest egg if another wave of this virus hits, is how he said. Mm. Um, but he also, we did address um, further, you know, the idea of, you mentioned there, like, Nyan Cat being, you know, sold. And you're like, how could you, how can a GIF be sold? There is a, one idea that's forming out of this and whether you believe it or not is is another thing is that this is a form of modern patronage someone who is mm. the creator of nyan cat is suddenly has made some money after years of their creation uh, being used ubiquitously yeah. in a ubiquitous fashion around the world that's so a good somebody point. the creator of that artwork is now getting some uh, financial reward for it not that they were ever looking for it originally but that is something that is perhaps positive out of it um but the other thing is like with this this NFT stuff is still very much like it's a playground for the rich in lots of ways. So uh, when uh, Jack Screen was asked about this, he says, um, so do you think it'd be giving me more than that? He said, well, not currently because the gas prices are so high. This is part of the reason why I went with something like publishing because I realized that the average fan isn't on these marketplaces. Um, two weeks ago, a friend of mine put up their first thing on Zora and they wanted to know what it was like to bid on something and just help him along. So I tried to put 200 bucks on his auction, but on Zora, you need to wrap your Aretium and that exchange costs money and then putting a bid down costs another 50 bucks and it quickly became abundantly clear that the entire system is expensive and kind of inefficient. Until that changes, it will very much be a playground for the crypto rich. That is, that is like, it, that's exactly my issue with it. That That's it. He goes on to say there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but there are entire websites that only sell $2,000 shoes. But framing it as a patronage thing is problematic. In a world where visual art has been rendered worthless by Instagram and music has been rendered worthless by Spotify, it's a band-aid solution for artists who hope that a couple of angel benefactors can support their practice. In that sort of system, there are larger implications that are kind of awful that would disproportionately benefit artists whose aesthetic pairs up with the fine art world or whose mediums are either part of or tangentially connected to the wealthy and powerful. I don't think a random person in Wyoming who's making a demo tape in their house is going to see the NFT marketplace as a huge win for artists. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it feeds into a, an idea that is so much bigger than NFTs, but 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 it is absolutely contributing to it. I mean, in, in turn, you know, a, a lot of people are saying that this is a, a turning point in, in artistic freedom. I think what he says there sums up that it isn't. So much of capital uh, of capitalism is already, already now these days being carried out in digital spaces. And as time goes on, 
this is only going to increase. And, you know, the vast sums of money and energy that are required to buy and sell NFTs feed into that, whether artists like it or not. It it is NFTs, crypto, art in crypto spaces is inherently capitalistic. And that's the problem. It It financially benefits those who don't need it most. And it throws digital innovation at a problem that is too big to be solved by the tech industry or that the tech industry has no interest in solving, which is but because it relies by nature on capitalism for its for its own survival and i think you know the the idea of owning a physical a physical piece of art or or a digital piece of art it's already a kind of a philosophical landmine you know like what what are you saying about the art itself by putting grossly more monetary value on onto something with a signature over something that is a duplicate of it it like the the art the physical art industry drives a billion dollar market in 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 that space and it will do the same for the digital art space like the the value of art is placed on owning the original which therefore yeah. becomes the best thing and access to the best thing the best version of art is something that's only available to those with money and those who use it to drive that economy so this is an industry the the, the physical art world the the art auctions you know the, the the guys who were in the room on the day when the the the, the banksy uh piece was fed yeah, through the shredder true, yeah. you know those those guys who are on the phone who who are raising their hands for yeah i'll i'll pay however many million you know these these people don't they don't care about what the art is they only care about the value of that art and that industry has also had to have been like heavily regulated in in the US uh, and kind of failingly so because it's been used to launder money and do various other bad faith practices and i don't see how moving into a digital space if if anything <laughs> that's going to in- yeah. encourage more of that because of the anonymity that's associated with with things like bitcoin and blockchain and and that sort of thing and so you know like owning an original van gogh for example is not the same as owning a video by grimes that would feel the same in every sense as if it was mass distributed because yeah. the 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 physical object that you have is a link to that person you're you're touching something there's a tactile nature to it you're touching something that somebody has made and and maybe that's an old fashioned kind of view on it but a grimes video an 8 second long grimes video is an 8 second long grimes video whether there are 3000 of them in the world or one of them in the world whereas a, a van gogh versus a print of a van gogh only one of those things has paint only one of those things was used like yeah. was 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 painted by the artist so i think when when we think about nfts what we need to think about is what makes art valuable and who decides on the value of art can or should monetary value even be ascribed to art to art and these are questions that aren't new they're not exclusive to the crypto space but we're if we're expected to celebrate this new tech innovation for artists we need to ask ourselves if if anything is actually changing or does this innovation merely move the problems that exist with valuing art into a digital space because art has value because the culture around it ascribes value to it and when it exists in a capitalist model this value will depend on factors that are 
far and away outside of what we might f- philosophically call like value in art like if such a word is even fit for purpose when it comes to art so i think it, it is ap- absolutely putting a band-aid on a problem that is far too big for any of these people to solve but it's the inherent cockiness i suppose of the tech industry to just throw to throw blockchain or to throw crypto at at the art world or at the digital innovation world or the meme world or whatever this is and as a one size fits all way to solve a marketplace that has no chance of being solved while we live under capitalism yeah. and that's my rant <laughs> fair um yeah and i think you know that's i think for me that is and for a lot of people that is the the scarcity issue you're talking about there that mm. gives a uh, traditional art value is not applicable here and that's why for a lot of people they're like what how could you ascribe value to this you're right it is a really interesting thing that you know that is happening but you know, is there a future for NFTs? I mean, that's the, the larger question probably now. Or is this just a I think absolutely pattern? there is a future for NFTs. Yeah, you it could see to, it being used yeah. for like access to bonus content or concert. But like it could be any sort of transaction that is allows, like you could use that to purchase something online digitally. That makes sense. Um, a collectible item is how a lot of people are, are seeing it. It could be a collectible mm. item. But the interesting thing about yeah. money, uh, about music in particular, is the music value is also its ability to be disseminated and shared widely as well. And that's what gives it its value, being able to hear something and change cultural conversations and change minds and stuff like that. But, mm. you know, that's one of the great things about music in the modern age, is the ability to be able to hear music relatively quickly and easy. Yeah. That was even the case uh, before piracy and the internet too. It was relatively easy to hear music. Uh, but do we really want to live in a world where, like, you might get to the extreme version of that, where a single item uh, album NFT is only available to one person yeah. who can buy it and this is the same as like the Wu-Tang album as well and that so, person in in the case of the, of the Wu-Tang album and in the case of any of these transactions that are going to happen going forward that person is probably not going to have any interest in the art itself and they only have an interest in the cultural capital yeah, that, is, uh, that, that is associated with that art and also the money that can be made in the future with it it's yeah. like buying stick with the Van Gogh thing it's like buying a Van Gogh that no one has ever seen and locking it up away in your attic because you've been banned from showing it to anybody like that 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 is not what it was created for and then you know you could argue that artists are going to if, if an artist is creating an NFT for sale there's only going to be one version of it that exists are they going to put as much effort into it is it going to be as meaningful to them as something that is for mass production because yeah. in in music, you know, like like you said, the the kind of not not the point of music, but you know, yeah, in a way, the point of music for for artists is to have it heard and enjoyed by as many people as possible. So if you're only going to make it for one person, and that person you can pretty much guarantee has very little interest in it anyway, what is what is that then? Is is it is it just an autograph? Are you just are you just signing a photo of yeah. yourself and sending it and sending it out there? It just doesn't it doesn't speak to an authentic artistic process in the same way that and I mean I I don't I don't like the idea that artists aren't being paid for streams either but what streaming has done is 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 given more people the opportunity to find 
and then support artists that they wouldn't have found otherwise. So there just has to be a middle ground. It it it, it feels like yeah. this is there's a cynicism at the core of a lot of yeah. these NFT purchases. And I think even at least the the Jack Screen one here, like you're giving something back, or even the Kings of Leon one, you're like, you know, you're buying a physical item as really as part of it. And that's mm. so you're getting something back as well. And you're also if, getting to say you bought the Kings of Leon album on the blockchain or whatever, you know, yeah. I mean, if you're interested in that kind of thing. And I'm sure there are loads of people who are interested in saying that um, to, to their friends or whoever, just to have that. But if this isn't a marketplace that is accessible to everybody, then it is not a marketplace that is going to actually support artists. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Well, here's an idea. Uh, just uh, This is from uh, Jack Screen's interview as well on Lucky Me. He says... Um, so just talking about the idea of why he did this as opposed to, um, you know, this is an alternative. I did run that thought experiment thinking about the next time I release a 12-inch record, if there are 300 copies, I could create 300 tokens. But if you tokenize physical objects, buyer can't actually use them until they redeem their coin, which creates a potential scenario where fans are continually trading coin and never cashing out, never actually interacting with the object or the vinyl itself. Mm. If that happened, I'd end up with 300 records in a box in my room while people are getting speculatively rich off the idea of the vinyl. Yes, that, yes, that is it. Yes. He said, that felt pretty dark because if we're talking about one digital single, that exposure felt much more limited to him. Mm. Otherwise, you're like, speculation is what's driving this. And like, all the ideas mm. of like, this may have value. And then it becomes less, not about the music at all, or not about like, Oh, supporting an artist at all no it's it's like, about how can i as a as a, a fan or a lay person or an investor make money off this artist it feels insidious you know like yeah. when when you think about the people that are act that actually have access to these marketplaces in a meaningful way the people that are able to buy something for 20 grand brilliant that an artist is getting is getting 20 grand for something but if it's not going anywhere, if it's not making a meaningful cultural or social or personal impact on a person, then what was it for? What, yeah. what Was it just to make that 20 grand? I mean, something I, I was thinking about today, and I'll ask you the same question as well, is, you know, so you're you're a, a massive, massive fan of the Beastie Boys, right? So if... Yeah. if if the Beastie Boys in 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 your favorite era, like in in the the the, the makeup as they were, as you loved them, r released a, an NFT of a three and a half minute song, and you had the you had the opportunity to buy it, would you like do do you as a fan actually have an interest in buying an NFT from from, from somebody? I don't know what the answer to that is. Really. Mm. I mean, uh, yeah, well, first of all, you'd have to have the money for it. Um, mm. But if you did, you're like, well, what am I actually getting for this? What, I don't I don't see the value, to be honest, myself. And that's why it's quite difficult for a lot of people to, uh, myself included, to go, oh, well, where's the value in this? It's just yeah. like, I mean, bragging to who? Like, you're like that's, showing somebody a document. It that's doesn't make what any it, sense. That's, that's how I feel about it as well. It's like, it, so I the example that was running through my head was like, okay, if, if Father Don Misty tomorrow was like, okay, here's here's a never before heard song. Yeah. I'll send it to you. You pay two grand. And I somehow had two grand to buy it. And I bought it and I had it. And, you know, lo lovely that I as a fan have this. But really what... Or, or maybe not a song, maybe, you know, like a, a video or, 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 or something. It's like, what, what, what is actually my motivation for having that? And I think it is a motivation that is inherently modern, which is to prove that you are 
different to the other fans that Mm. you like this thing more than anybody else you have a signed copy of this thing or you have you know you you, it forms itself as an idea of of cultural capitalism that gives the fan something to brag about and to go on social media or to go into reddit threads and say well i i i own this nft so i obviously like this artist more than any of you yeah but the idea is that you also like just just because you have the most money out of all of the fans doesn't make you the best fan it just okay well here's a different question then would if you had the money to buy a song from father john misty where he wrote a song about you would that change things then because that's a unique item tied to you then it gives you more of the cultural capital blah, blah blah maybe as well yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely see more of a benefit of of that because it is personalized. But at the same time, it, it would make me deeply uncomfortable if I bought something like that with money that other fans didn't have. Do you know what I mean? Like that. Yeah, is, I guess it's this, the same. This, this, it's only mine because I'm richer than other people. Yeah, that, it's the same thought process those as uh, Patreon perks from artists who are writing us will say, I'll write a song about you. Or a cameo video where somebody mm. buys for their birth- friend's birthday where you get a personalized message. It's the same kind of idea. But I suppose Patreon and, and cameo are relatively affordable for day-to-day people, whereas the the the, the NFT marketplace is, b- because it's so popular at the moment, it's, it's a marketplace that everyday people don't have access to, first of all, because it costs money to even get involved in. Whereas with something like Patreon, it's... It's a um, it, it it it's a crowdfunded thing, so the artist is still making a lot of money. I mean, I I have my own problems with with Patreon's model, but the artist is still making money while the art is able to be disseminated a, a, across a wider set of people. Yeah. Whereas if you're only creating one thing for one person, then you're going to want to get paid for doing that. I, I wouldn't expect it to be cheap for Father John Misty to write a song about me, you know, as, as much as yeah. I love him too. I don't expect it to be cheap. And I don't think it's fair that just because I'm a millionaire, um, I get access to that. You know, it's yeah, it just does it just doesn't sit right with me. And I do think that NFTs will like like anything else. It, it it will take a while, but they they will find what their what their role is in this new sort of digital space. But as long as it exists within the limitations ethically of the tech industry, then it will always be. Uh, it it will always have to serve that, you know. So. I did read about one. Maybe it was Blau. I can't remember. I can't find the um, thing now. But there was a an idea that like it was things were going so well for Blau in terms of the NFT that he's he almost decided he was only going to release music. I think it was him only going to release music as NFTs, and that became such huge backlash because he mm. was like, uh, he was like, oh, um, he was so into it, and then everyone was like, uh, then none of your fans can hear this music, and. You know, and then he was kind of like, all right, okay, that doesn't really make sense, maybe. But, Mm. you know, it's that kind of the next logical next step is only making music for a small select group of people Mm. who can afford it. Just to come back to the um, Jack Screen uh, one before we leave, um, just uh, because people may who are listening may have the uh, may have had a question about the publishing rights. So in the sync of the song and he does answer like 
basically when you have the publishing of a song you can do what you want with it but as part of the deal he has with the guy who actually bought it his name was Trevor McFedries who owns the publishing for the song the document that was transferred to him at the end of the auction says that Jack Screen as a producer and a musician retains the permission rights for how that song's publishing can be used so the song can't be used in a US military commercial or a Raytheon campaign or anything like that uh, it is still up to uh, Trevor McFeeders who owns the publishing now to register as a publisher and to do all that stuff and to make sure that he is monetizing the money on the publishing side of that song um, and then they can make money and if it's get you synced on TV whatever whatever they will obviously get that cut but it's up to them completely Lucky Me is the record label and they hold the master so that's how that works just in case anyone was wondering that you can literally then do whatever you want and in my all of my reading about this, most of course, one of the most bizarre turns involved uh, Azealia Banks, who uh, last week her and her ex-fiance Ryder Rips uploaded a sex tape as an NFT, and it was sold for seventeen thousand dollars. So that's uh, uh, of course there was a bizarre Azealia Banks Grimes um, connection somewhere in here again. Mm. There always um, is. Yeah, yeah. So apparently, the uh, it was bought by a guy called Rulton Fighter, who is an NFT uh, associated artist. He sells a lot of NFTs himself. And once the sale was completed, Fighter was granted full ownership of the album, which is an audio uh, of their sex tape, as well as distribution and display rights and sole access to the audio, including a WAV file and the only signed LP mile recording of the sex tape in existence. Jesus Christ. So. And then he was but trying I mean, to be... look, more power to people who are doing that. That's fine. But does it need to be done as an NFT? Does it need to have this level of environmental catastrophe associated with it? I just don't understand why you can't auction this just using money or using a different model that doesn't require this amount of energy, especially knowing what we know about it, you know? Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, do you think Azealia Banks' sex tape would have uh, uh, sold for $17,000 had it not been as an NFT in the very no. uh, current and uh, hot uh, system that everyone's going mad about? So, no. And that's the thing not. about it is that all of these things right now are rarities and that's why they're going for the kinds of money that they're going for. But the more of the Jack, Dor- Jack Dorsey... Um, yeah. The, the more of those sorts of things that are being sold as NFTs, the cheaper they will become because this is it, it's just new. Like it's it's just the first time that we've kind of had this and people are jumping on it and being like, oh, yeah, have having his first tweet is going to be really valuable. And it's like, well, is it going to be really valuable when other tweets are going to be just as valuable? Do you know what I mean? Like owning the mm. rights to like some Trump tweets in 20 years that aren't on the platform anymore or, or diff- different artists or like deleted tweets that still exist in a code somewhere. The marketplace if, for this is going to get saturated and I think it won't be until after that that things will start to level out financially. Yeah. But, but my problem remains the same that I don't trust it because it is capitalism online and I and because of that the world will end a little bit sooner the more we support this okay well hopefully we explain what nfts are now are, are we ending on that are we ending I, on the world will end a little bit sooner I mean, if we support seems, nfts maybe 
maybe. Yeah, let's um, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, Why not? I think it's the best way. But look, I will say <laughs> though, as a podcast episode, if there's any other questions anyone has, um, you can jump on our Discord. If you're a member, we will answer any questions in the podcast chat you may have about this episode. So do put them there. That's patreon.com forward slash nine or nine. If you want to uh, get involved with that, I'm really loving the Discords. Uh, it's been great and um, brilliant. That's yeah, yeah. It's been good. It's been good. So, um, and what about yourself, Andrea? Um, I okay. I have a Substack. I am. Uh, you can fo- you can follow it for free right now, but I'm pausing payments on it for the moment because Substack. I'm I'm basically I'm moving from Substack somewhere else. If you join my Substack, you will be migrated over to whatever the other thing I join is. Basically, Substack are supporting transphobic writers with uh the money that people are supporting independent creators like myself with so you can't financially support me anywhere at the moment but you will be able to soon and you can join my Substack for free um and when things get migrated over i'll let people know but um yeah it's basically it's very complicated i have a post on my Substack. if you're wondering what's going on you can go and read Look, that you should just put up your tweets as, as an nft and then yeah you know, make a few quick no i've quit mind. twitter i'm gone <laughs> I'm, You're going I'm completely. Well, no, not completely. It, it's still there, and I'll I'll be logging in to kind of post work or whatever. But my friend uh, Sarah Marie currently has my Twitter password, and in order for me to log into Twitter, I have to text her with a good enough reason to log in, and then she'll give me the password. And then every time I log back out, I change my password to some kind of nonsensical uh, string of letters and numbers send it back to her delete the message and then i go off and be happy but i have to say it's been lovely i've been spending okay. more time in that discord though yeah <laughs> i think it's yeah real 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 communities is where it's all about what it's all about i think that's yeah. what it should be about all right all right that's it from us this week we'll be back next mm. week thank you all for listening to our podcast about nfts and uh, we hope you had a lovely paddy's week and uh, oh yeah yeah forgot also. forgot a bit <laughs> hope it was nice yeah yeah i i did that i i had i had a guinness or two and uh did okay. a live stream so that was fun i enjoyed Lovely. the lumo live stream but that's it from us this week we'll be back uh next week and do tell your friends and yeah discord is where we're at if you want to chat to us that you can get access through the patreon patreon.com forward slash nine or nine and uh yeah best of luck bye Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. 
It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just, I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.